Over the course of the last six days, working around the clock, we have reached tentative agreements across each of the big three. When I think about where this fight began, one thing is abundantly clear. They underestimated us. They underestimated you. These corporations had no idea what was coming for them, and they have no idea what's next. We have a very proud history in our union. We called our campaign the stand-up strike to honor the rich legacy of the sit-down strike that built our movement. I carry with me my grandfather's check stub every day because I don't forget where I come from. We learn from history, but we also make history. The stand-up strike is the first page in a new chapter of our story. We have won record agreements at Ford, Stellantis, and now GM. We have united our membership like never before. We have shown the companies, the American public, and the whole world that the working class is not done fighting. In fact, we're just getting started. shop floor discussions a very special overtime episode of your favorite labor podcast work stoppage my name is john i'm dan and i'm lena and thank you so much if you support us on patreon it's the only way that this show gets support hop in the discord if you're not already in there if you are a patron and you need stickers message us on patreon and i'll sort that out for you and if you want to help the show a little bit more leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or wherever you can we try to read every single one that we see yeah so Obviously, one of the biggest stories in labor over the past couple of months has been the historic strike by the UAW, the stand-up strike that they've been waging for the past six weeks, going out against all three of the big three U.S. automakers at the same time for the very first time in their history. And obviously, you know, going out on strike for that long is very difficult Uh, especially, you know, for the workers who have been out for the full six weeks, those first few plants that went out uh, right after the contract expired. But, you know, we talked a little bit about this on the recent show, but now we've really seen, you know, through their unity and their resolve on the picket line and in the shop, the rank and file members of the UAW have forced Ford, GM, and Stellantis to bend to the will of those who make their profits possible. And over the past week, really over, I think it was only took six days, the UAW has reached tentative agreements with all three companies after nearly one-third of their workforce, almost 50,000 workers, hit the picket lines during this strike. And so, you know, we briefly discussed the TA at Ford on, on this week's regular episode, but since we recorded that on Saturday, a lot more information has come out, and obviously there have also been TAs signed at Stellantis and GM. So we figured it would make sense to set aside a whole episode to just go through these agreements, talk about what this strike has won and what, you know, the future looks like following the uh, suspension of the strike with these three agreements. So, and obviously, you know, we want to emphasize right at the top the same way that UAW President Sean Fain has in all of these announcements that 
while we have these tentative agreements and the strike is suspended, the membership is the highest authority on whether these deals are good enough. Only the UAW rank and file can really determine if the wins made in these contracts are enough to sign or if they want to go out and fight for more. And so, but regardless of which way they decide to go, as we go through these, I think it'll become clear that like, whether they decide they want to fight for more, which would be totally fine, what they've already won is historic and I think worth breaking down in some detail. Yeah, I think I'm actually really excited to go over this because actually when doing the the following of all of the reporting on this, either from the UAW or from some other sources, it has been quite clear that the workers, uh, as uh, uh, as Jim Cramer uh, moaned, the, the workers the workers win and <laughs> that's right jim uh you know saying it with a different tone than you were 40 years ago for some reason but hey <laughs> you're still right even if the inflection's wrong um <laughs> but uh, so we'll start with ford because you know that was the first agreement that was signed and it's also though the one that we have the most information about so you know, we discussed some of the core gains made in the TA on this week's regular episode, but there's a lot more in there than we knew about at the time. Uh, so we're going to go through the whole thing. I mean, well, what we have in detail. I mean, these these are huge contracts covering tens of thousands of workers at each facility. So we're not going to go through everything. That would take forever. And there'd be a lot of stuff in there, frankly, we probably wouldn't understand since we're not auto workers. Right. But, well, and I mean, like this stuff is going to be for people who really want to get into that really nitty gritty on the UAW's website. They are going to have mm-hmm. highlights and all of the different comparisons between the old contract and the new contract available. I believe it actually currently it's uh, i know it's available for ford and we are going to see that available for gm and stellantis coming very shortly but we do have quite a few details on those contracts anyway but first uh we're going to start with ford because that's the one that we got the most info about yeah and so one of the things though that i really wanted to get at was we had like each one of these deals has had like about a 10 minute announcement video that the UAW issued with each of them to go over the very top level details. And that's all we really had to go on for the Ford TA this week. But in addition, you know, now with Ford, we've had a chance for the national Ford team to go to Detroit, meet, review the deal and decide whether or not to approve it. And so following that, where the Ford team unanimously uh, decided to recommend the contract to the rank and file the ford leadership held a facebook live on set on sunday evening the 29th to discuss the deal in more detail and uh when they started that discussion i thought it was really interesting because you know they didn't just start with rushing into hey we got 25 percent raise hey we got all these these great things sean vane really started the discussion with a much broader vision of really what these contracts can mean beyond the already quite substantial uh, material improvement to workers' lives that these deals represent and, and really looking to where they they stand as kind of, as the, the phrase that, that President Fain has used quite several times is an inflection point, you know, in the, the history of the labor movement. And so it was really I got to say, pretty cool <laughs> to see him start then the breakdown of the Ford TA with a, really a call to action because the first aspect of the contract that they discussed in detail was actually the expiration date of these new contracts because 
the UAW was very purposeful. They intentionally set the expiration date for these contracts as April 30th, 2028. So that when it expires, if, you know, the... The companies haven't learned their lesson from this strike and are still playing hardball. Then they'll be able to strike on May Day. And in the announcement, Fain actually like explicitly called on other unions to do the same thing, to coordinate their contract dates of April 30th, 2028, because that would allow for the possibility of not just, you know, another big three strike, another stand-up strike, or, you know, whatever new uh, tactics have been developed in the next five years, but a cross-industry strike, and a legal one at that, even within the U.S.'s ridiculous labor law setup, and potentially the sort of thing that could start to look like an actual general strike, something that, you know, we did a whole series on those, and we haven't seen anything like that in the United States in almost 100 years. I think so. that is a really important thing to underline in that, you know, we talk about the difficulty of holding a general strike and the amount of coordination, how unions need to be spearheading that effort because they are the largest institutions of workers that are organized in order to do that sort of thing. And the, this is the first step. And I actually, I'm really excited to, to play that clip of, of Sean Fain saying that right here. We went to each of the big three and proposed an expiration date of April 30th, 2028. We did this for several reasons. First, this allows us to strike on May Day or International Workers' Day. May Day was born out of an intense struggle by workers in the United States to win an eight-hour day. That's a struggle that is just as relevant today as it was in 1889. Even though May Day has its roots here in the United States, it is widely celebrated by workers all over the world. It's more than just a day of commemoration. It's a call to action. We invite unions around the country to align your contract expirations with our own so that together we can begin to flex our collective muscles. If we're gonna truly take on the billionaire class and rebuild the economy, so that it starts to work for the benefit of the many and not the few, then it's important that we not only strike, but that we strike together. Yeah, yeah. and I just, you know, this is one of those things where there have always been progressive unions, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the United States. We, we, we laud the UE, the ILWU, the history of the IWW, uh, all sorts of, you know, great unions in the U.S. that have taken up political causes of the left and actually tried to fight not just for justice on the shop floor exclusively, but also in broader society. But it's it's almost like another level when you have a union like the UAW that is almost, I guess, you know, by our the standards of the U.S. labor movement, much more mainstream. Like, it, it's a union of 150,000 auto workers, I think 220,000 total members. Um, and... Their president, you know, they're one of the most visible unions in the U.S., and to have their president issue a call to action for the entire labor movement, arguably the entire working class, to basically confront the, the ruling class in a class-on-class, -class, you know, labor struggle, mm -hmm. it... I have never seen anything like this in the U.S. labor movement. <laughs> no, I, I was screaming like a fucking orangutan when I saw the clip on Twitter the first time. I was going absolutely apeshit because it was like, 
Yes, it means that much to the U.S. labor movement to have this. But also there's like a couple of other critical things happening, which is that first off, like this introduces a whole new like type of communication into the labor movement that we just didn't have before. And communication takes place in a lot of different registers. And I think myself included, a lot of people had the idea beforehand that like to get a general strike or something approximating it going, you would need like tightly orchestrated semi-clandestine interaction between high-ranking officials of various unions just because of security concerns or whatever. And this just like totally punctured that and blew open my imagination to see the president of the UAW come out and just be like, if we need to strike, it'll be May Day 2028. And if you need to strike, (laughs) it would really be beneficial to us and you and everybody if it was on that same day. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it, it is really 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 an amazing call to action and even just talking about the progressive nature of certain unions i i do think that like the uaw and in the in sean fain's you know uh you know history he's he likes to call back to history a lot and he often calls back to these even in the uaw these smaller but like still important progressive movements within the uaw which i think is an important legacy for them to call on despite the fact that you know the uaw does have you know a mixed history and and i do think that that's a really good turn point for for their union so uh, what you're saying is uh sean fain is doing materialism really good (laughs) (laughs) well and the other thing though you know i really think that one of the things that's so groundbreaking about this call to action is not just like you're saying you know the finally an open call to coordinate um something that you would think an organization like the afl cio would have been doing for its existence you think it'd be in their charter (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, and so I, yeah, I think it's it's good to see these other unions just be like, look, yeah, the Union Federation should be doing this, but they're not going to do it. So fuck it. We'll do it. <laughs> like, we'll do it ourselves and we'll start this. And the thing that I think is so interesting is I feel like it's kind of just a, a continuation of the spirit behind the stand-up strike. And what I mean by that is that uh, really one, one of the things that was so critical to the whole strategy behind the stand-up strike was an understanding of the necessity for the workers to always maintain the initiative in the struggle, to never be on the back foot, to never be fighting on the terrain that the bosses are setting, never fighting on their schedule, and instead to say, no, we're fighting on our terms, of the point, the place and time we choose. And this is taking that really to another level to say, yeah, we're going to do the same thing in five years, but we don't have to just do that with the auto workers. The whole goddamn labor movement can decide, no, we are going to fight on our terms and we're going to fight together the same way that the workers at Ford and GM and Stellantis just did. And we saw to incredible effect as we're about to break down. And so to see that translated to the whole broader labor movement is, I think, extremely exciting. Oh, it's transformative. Yeah. And I don't want to drag out this point way too long because, I mean, we could go on about it forever. But I do think that one of the other things that might come out of this is that unions might not have the 2028 year for their contract end but they can still set their contracts to end on april 30th of every single year potentially leading to a lot of different major actions every single year revitalizing May Day, turning it back into International Workers' Day here in the United States, and which is something that I think that we on the left have kind of lamented very often that Labor Day has been, you know, taken as like the day for labor here. 
And to return to that International Workers Day, which I think is a really great way for us to move forward as a labor movement. Yeah, well, and and the other thing, too, I think that is really important to point out about this is that I, you know, it's no coincidence that the two most militant, like, biggest strike actions that we've seen this year, even if one wasn't technically a strike, uh, came from the Teamsters and the UAW, the two unions that most recently actually enacted rank-and-file democracy through a one-member, one-vote platform. Like, this year, 2023, I think, should be, like, kind of the nail in the coffin of the idea that, like, democracy within a union is, like, an optional thing or not Mm -hmm. that important. It's Mm -hmm. like, who are the unions that are fighting to revive the strike, that are fighting to not just, you know, do holding actions and try to defend gains made 30, 40 years ago, but actually improve conditions now and to not just be always on the back foot. It's the Teamsters and the UAW. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it's so important that we see that it's like you have the two unions most embrace, like two biggest unions recently embracing rank file democracy, winning these huge gains. That should say something about where the U.S. labor movement needs to go if it actually wants to be effective. Yeah, well, yeah. and like not to toot our own horn too much, but we kind of have been like Vince McMahon reaction facing to this entire thing the entire yeah. time. Like when the first, like when the UAWD and the TDU like got going, and we were like, "Oh, this this is a serious movement within these unions." We were kind of expressing ourselves, and by this point, we're just like completely blown back from our desk, <laughs> yeah. totally unable to commentate on the match anymore like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's simply too awesome um (laughs) but so enough gushing over 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 this what i still think is is going to be like a truly historic call to action in labor movement but uh to go along with that like that that sort of call to action can only actually be like made serious if it's coming off the back of a victory that is like really cements in the members' minds that this is how we won this and this is how we're going to win these gains in the future. And so, like, starting right off the bat, getting into this this contract at Ford, you know, we talked about raises on the regular episode because, you know, the the early announcement fronted that uh, very prominently where, you know, uh, there's a 25% base wage increase, which is already a big-ass raise. Uh, But... What we learned, you know, when they started to break down more of the details in this longer announcement of more of the details of the Ford contract is that the total gains for workers in this are significantly larger than just saying there's a 25% raise. Because one of the key things here is that this contract wins back the cost of living adjustment, COLA, that was previously eliminated in 2009 following the auto bailouts. And so you have to add that on every year on top of the 25% base raise. So uh, we found out that by the end of this contract in 2028, the top rate for Ford manufacturing workers with COLA will reach an average of $42.60 an hour, uh, which is like, I believe that's a 33% increase Mm -hmm. from currently. And for skilled trades, that's going to be over $50 an hour, meaning that your skilled trades workers at Ford are going to be making over $100,000 a year. Yeah, that's that's a real fucking job. That's like... Without overtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, I, yeah, I, I think that that's also a really important <laughs> thing to underline because a lot of these people are put into lots of overtime. Yeah, and so, well, and the other thing, too, is is that, like, the the uh, the wages and the hours affect each other because, you know, if you've been getting paid a really shitty wage, then you're going to be more incentivized to take voluntary overtime even if you don't want it. But now that, you know, with this contract, if you're making a wage where you're actually able to pay your bills, you're actually able to save for your kids for college, you're actually able to live a decent life, then, you know, yeah, if the place is, makes you do mandatory OT once in a while, you take that. But, like, you don't well, have to constantly be working 60, 70 hours a week. And also, it, it goes both ways. If it costs more to fucking employ you in the first place, the company is going to be less interested in leaning on weird right. overtime shit to bring you into work all the time and fucking with your life because it's gonna, it costs them money to do that now. Yeah, exactly. And so the other thing that's huge, and this is with all the contracts, but, like... <sighs> This is another part that I don't that I feel like because a lot of the the more mainstream publications that have talked about this strike have really focused on the twenty five percent raise and the cola and a couple of the other bigger items, but the f- the fact that they cut the time for workers to reach top rate from starting from eight years, which that's a long fucking time, to three years, which is less than the length of this contract, is enormous. Because not only does it mean that, you know, it'll only take you three years from starting to get to top rate, meaning that by the end of the contract, you'll be making over $40 an hour, which is great. But it means that every current member who's currently in that seniority, you know, that, that, that progression, if you've been there for over three years, once this TA is ratified, or if they go out and get a new TA and keep this in here and win some more stuff once that TA is ratified... Every member with at least three years on the job will immediately go to top rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, that's it's so the, much. It's the difference between, if, if you're an auto worker, it's the difference between getting from the bottom to the top of the pay scale by the time it takes your kid to go through a doctoral program versus mm. a trade school. Yeah. Yeah. And I th- also think that what that should also like ring in people's heads as is, bigger raises i mean like Mm -hmm. really what that is is because there's still cola i mean once you reach top rate you're mostly you know going with the the cola and the standard uh percentage raise that that goes on but i mean if it took you eight years to get there before maybe your raises were only like 30 cents i mean if it only takes you three years maybe that raises a dollar two dollars yeah, it's so important to remember that raises are compounding, and that's why they're so fucking reticent to hand them out. And that's like compounding money is good. You should always be on the good end of that. That's I think banks' entire business model. Yeah, and like <laughs> to 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 really try and hammer home, like to try and summarize what that all means. You know, for the workers who are currently in the progression, who aren't currently at top rate, <laughs> the the total value of the wage increases for these workers, like over the course of the contract, which is about four and a half years, the the UAW put out a great um, a table that, that charted this for all the di- workers in different positions. And they're estimating that based on these, the combination, wage increases, COLA, every, all, the, all the economic gains in this, although not including profit sharing, <laughs> um, will increase workers who are currently in the progression, their total earnings over the length of that contract by an average of $150,000. Yeah. Like that's I like that is that's a life I mean it's spread out over four and a half years but that's a life-changing amount of money and that's on top of what they would you would have already been making. It's, I, it's more money than most 
two income households have at all. Mm-hmm. And I cannot wait till we get to the temps part because those numbers become astronomical when we oh, get there. The percentages become ballistic. Yeah. Well, speaking of temps, uh, <laughs> you know, new temps hired at Ford will now convert to full-time after nine months, which is huge because it ends the abuse that all these companies have been doing where they're like, oh, we're hiring a bunch of temps, but don't worry, they're temps. And then they're temps for one year. And then they're temps still after two years, sometimes after three years of still being a temp, which is bullshit. That's not a temporary job. No, And, <laughs> and I mean, that's like, over now. Yeah. And not only is it over, those people all get seniority for the time that they've been there. So if you were a temp and you have you're over nine months, let's say you were there for two years, you are already two years into your three year progression. You are going to exactly. be going from sixteen to twenty ish dollars an hour immediately up to twenty seven more or more immediately, immediately. Yeah, yeah like that. That's the other thing is like the the new deal, and this is a provision that had been floated, but is now you know if the deal is signed now actually on paper, that while new temps are going to convert after nine months, any temps that are currently there who have been there for that long within or have been there for at least ninety days will convert immediately to full time workers. Which, as you were saying, Lena, will if you've been there for a year or two as a temp, your wage is going to go from currently sixteen dollars an hour, which is ridiculous that they are paying auto workers that little money like that's not enough money for anything but like for auto work which is a really like dangerous and difficult physically demanding job that takes a real toll on your body that's just incredibly low those workers will go to from $16 an hour which is about $32,000 a year to $27 an hour which is about $54,000 a year immediately upon ratification (laughs) i mean to to speak to how it uh you know the effects on the body the video where they're doing the announcement both of the um the the president of the local that they had there with sean fain for both the announcement of the ta for ford and during this particular one where they were going over all the details i mean that man for one great midwest accent but also i mean like he is like permanently partially hunched over you could see that that man was an auto worker yeah and so these temps are going to have these huge raises immediately and because they'll be converted to full time like these are folks who have been stuck making 16 dollars an hour and then 16 dollars an hour and then 16 and no fucking progression at all like maybe a, a few cents here or there by the end of this contract any of those workers who have been slaving away as a temp for multiple years will immediately become full-time workers and at the end of the deal will be making over $40 an hour. That is so fucking incredible. I mean, like, to think that by the end of this deal, you could be making nearly three times as much money as the rate that you've been stuck at for maybe, like, up to three or four years? I mean, that... We talk on this show about like how transformative and life-changing these gains can be for like an incredible number of workers and I've I've never ever seen a better example in my life than this. Yeah, like it, the it's 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 a contrast, you know, between like how awful, truly awful these temp workers have been treated by these companies and how disgusting that is. 
and how, and, and that's the thing to me is that it's like, this is what solidarity is supposed to be. This is what bargaining is about is you start with the people in the worst spot. And that's exactly what this does is they're like, these guys are doing the same work as us. They should have everything that we have. And that's what this deal says. And, th- and that, I mean, that's, I think, you know, a big core of like why I'm so enthusiastic, at least about it personally. <laughs> and it makes a lot of sense to anyway. I mean, and I mean, this isn't, and we can keep gushing over wages, but there's still even more when it comes to the compensation that they're getting. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. One of the things that, that, that Sean Fay mentioned is that, you know, at the beginning of the deal, there was discussions by Ford of like, okay, well, we we will sign off on X, Y, Z, but we're going to have to dial back profit sharing. We can't, you know, everything can't go up. And they're just like, lies. You just made billions of dollars. Fuck you. The profit sharing's going up too. <laughs> and so uh, that's the thing is like those gains are all incredible. Also, there's a $5,000 ratification bonus for everybody on top of that. <laughs> including temps. Including temps. And then on top of that as well, uh, the increases to profit sharing are estimated to add an additional one to two thousand dollars a year for every worker, just on top of all this other stuff. And so, just to 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 put this into perspective, uh, uh, you know, according to the union, the uh, the total economic gains in this package are over are worth over four times the gains made in the 2019 CBA, and are greater than the cumulative economic gains made for auto workers in the last 22 years combined. Like I, it's, I, I don't know. I've, I just have never seen a contract that has that. And then the, 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 the wild thing is that largely what it's doing is digging the workers out of the hole that the concessions made after 2008 got them into. That's something that, you know, president Fain has, has repeatedly emphasized to point out that it's like, you know, people look at these numbers and they're like, these are ridiculous. The price of Fords are going to go up a bazillion dollars, but it's like, no, this is stuff. These workers have been owed. Yeah. This whole fucking time. Yeah, yeah, they're just catching up now. I'll be so curious to see what the next fucking contract looks like mm-hmm. once all of this stuff is fucking precedent. Because it's like, just in order to even get back to reality, they had to get, they had to move the rate of bargaining and multiply it by five and a half times. That's how yeah. much faster they're moving now. Half an order of magnitude is how much faster we're moving just to fucking reset and get things normal and good. Yeah. Yeah. And that and and I mean this is all for for current employees, but there are a lot of legacy employees, retirees that, you know, we were wanting to get more details on. And uh, there are also wins for retirees. The union won $2,500 annual bonuses for all retirees and an increase to their active member pension rate for the first time in 20 years. I mean, just to show that they are not, they, they said no concessions and they fucking meant it. There are also, I mean, there's still people with 401ks and they want a 72% increase to Ford's contribution, which is about $5,000 extra per year towards their retirement. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, this is one area, retirement benefits specifically, where I have seen some folks question the deal or, or feel like, you know, like, look, these obviously the wage gains are huge, but but perhaps there could be some more gotten. Like, specifically, I've seen folks say, like, like example, just the fact that some folks are, are stuck with 401ks, mm-hmm. whereas other folks have a pension, which is a real retirement. And 
I mean, I, yeah, that I, I agree that that sucks. Um, but you know, I, I, the other thing that I did hear, uh, read about, and this is, I don't know as much the details of this. So like there's discussions about different tiers of retirees where some folks get retiree healthcare, some don't. And I guess, and, and this contract, I guess, doesn't completely reverse that. Um, so those are some areas where I've seen some folks pointing out, you know, as, as far as like, whether this deal wins everything or if it wins a lot of things, but there's a, there's more stuff to fight. That's some of the items I've seen in the, you know, more things to fight for column. Right. Well, and and I mean, we will see what the membership thinks about that because as, as you know, is spoken about, you know, the membership are going to decide whether or not, you know, it's good enough. Like, like, cause mm-hmm. clearly things like the wages are really, really good. They are, they are unprecedented in, in many ways, but I mean, maybe the workers are like, we can get it all. I mean, but we'll see. And one of the other things though, that was a huge announcement in, in this bigger breakdown video that was released on Sunday that was not mentioned in the initial, uh, announcement and so we didn't talk about this on this week's show is that this stuff doesn't just all apply to the workers on internal combustion engine cars because i again this is also i think been underreported in the, the mainstream press the labor press has latched onto it correctly but like uh this contract brings ev workers under the deal as well for the first time now it there is it's not automatic because right now the the workers at the Marshall Battery Plant in Marshall, Michigan and the Tennessee Electric Vehicle Center will have to go through a card check election to see if the workers there want to join the UAW. If they oh, if they just by chance want to get some of the biggest raises of their lives. Right. But as part of the agreement, you know, Ford had to agree to a neutral card check election. So as part of the contract, if it's ratified, they're not allowed to union bust and if they do, the union can strike over it. Or at least, you know, start a grievance process. But this, after a card check, which I cannot imagine failing, (laughs) after looking at this deal, you know, workers at these EV plants will be brought into the same UAW master agreement as every other auto production worker. And that's enormous because not only is, you know, it important to prevent the existence of tiers within the, between internal combustion engine workers and EV workers that would be very divisive, but (laughs) it, it completely torpedoes the stupid idea that auto workers are against green vehicles. They hate the woke administration, climate change, lies, or whatever stupid bullshit that we keep hearing. And instead, it, it ensures that the future of automaking will be fought for just as hard as the present. I think that another really important thing about this is the fact that they will automatically be brought into a contract that exists, that they mm-hmm. can vote for something that they can see that is complete. It is it is so different from many other union elections in which you will then have to fight for your contract, fight for your first contract. They're literally voting, do you want to get paid more? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, in, for a lot of workers, it's, do you want to get paid double what you get paid? <laughs> like, So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. So that was another huge item, like the fact that, and oh, and critically, I think one of the things that makes that such a big win is that the union's not even legally allowed to demand that Ford do that in negotiations. Uh, like Ford could come, like, file a ULP and be like, this is unfair, they're making us... <laughs> help battery workers. We don't want to do that. <laughs> but instead, because of how powerful the strike was, they're just like, yeah, you could complain to the NLRB, but we'll see how well that helps your strike. 
Well, it, yeah, <laughs> it, it's powerful for the same exact reason that even though these are all historic wins, it's totally feasible that they could go out and try to demand more because like, as it's already been demonstrated to the big three, God and everybody, the workers are going to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just how it is now, dog. Like, okay. <laughs> that's just the facts on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll- and I mean, we we do need to keep trucking through this. So let's talk about just a couple more wins where, I mean, we've talked about this before. They won the Juneteenth holiday as well as two weeks of parental leave, which is a first time thing for them. I mean, that's that's amazing that they got some parental leave in a country where there is none. Uh, yeah, I will say I was surpri- I was surprised to see like there they there was no parental leave before. Not because I'm surprised to see that in a U.S. workplace. But specifically in unionized auto shops, I'm surprised that that wasn't there. So that's, yeah, that's also a really big win. Right. I mean, it means a lot more when Sean Fain comes in there and says, hey, UAW family, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, I mean, the deal also lowers the amount of vacation Ford can force workers to use during plant slowdowns to one week. And longtime veteran workers with 20 years seniority will just get an extra week of vacation. So yeah. that's that's good. I mean, I maybe there I mean maybe there's more to win in there. Maybe, but I mean I also that's not one of the major critiques that we've seen from workers. No. And so just, you know, throwing a, one other thing on there too, and this is something I feel like we don't see talked about a lot in other strikes, partially I think because we end up covering a lot of strikes that are not in manufacturing. Um, but one of the things that they also won was commitments from Ford to invest $8 billion in new products at its plants over the life of the contract. And for folks wondering, why do we care how the company is going to do that? It's That's a commitment to job security mm-hmm. because it's getting it in writing that like not just are you going to have these plants and not just are the workers going to have the right to strike over plant closure for the first time, which we talked about on the regular episode, but I just want to emphasize is an incredible win. Um, but they actually have to create the jobs that they claim that they're going to create because they, again, have in writing that they are going to invest that $8 billion in new product, which is going to require workers to produce it. So that's kind of the rundown of the items in the Ford contract. And uh, Ford has, you know, kind of, they, they kind of sheepishly limped away from the strike, like, all right, we give up, fine. And they're all like complaining in the press, like, this strike cost us $1.3 billion. That's so much. And I'm just like, good. You're just admitting how big of an L you just like, so what you're saying is you should have negotiated better like six weeks ago and you could have saved yourself one billion dollars yeah i I like to quote the former industry leader highlighted in this the hill article who slams ford's deal with the uaw saying quote this was a gun to the head that sounds so cool dude thank (laughs) you so much for that badass language (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm like rushing to an ai to get like a a shitty generated image of that (laughs) but um it also like it also demonstrates too i think importantly like you know we talk about a lot on this show how ridiculous a lot of union busting and strike breaking is because it's oftentimes far more expensive than just agreeing to the workers demands This is a pretty huge example of that because, again, if this was all just about money, Ford could have just agreed to this deal weeks ago and saved themselves literally a billion dollars. They're probably exaggerating, but that's the number they're running with. Mm -hmm. But 
Just like when we see hospital companies willing to spend far more on travel nurses to crush strikes than they would spend to just hire more workers, we see over and over again bosses resist workers' demands as much for their desire for workplace control and their like dictatorial uh, power over the workers as for the money itself. And so like this contract is a true victory of the UAW workers at Ford because not only did they force the company to share some of the profits that were earned off of their blood, sweat, and tears, they won back more control in the shop. And what that means is that the companies can no longer push the UAW around, and that terrifies them. Yeah, but, you know, that's uh, that's how it goes when you have a good rank-and-file, democratic, uh, democratically-run union. Yeah, so, I mean, just to go over the, the the procedure now, just for folks, I mean, if you, it's not super relevant if you're not an auto worker, but I was just interested in, like, the democratic process. So, like, uh, now that the Ford council of all the you know negotiators and 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 leaders in in Ford in the UAW has unanimously recommended the deal on Sunday uh, there's now being regional meetings being held across the country for UAW workers at Ford as well as local meetings to present the deal walk through all the details answer any questions and create a forum for debate i mean that's one of the other things i want to highlight here because i think it was in the GM announcement but this it it applies to all of them I very rarely have seen like a president so open about like, yeah, debate, argue about like, it's your contract. It's you guys decide whether it's good. It's like, so it's so the opposite of, you know, the business unionist ideal of we won this, just the leadership. We did it. Thank us for it. <laughs> yeah, I, de- I definitely uh, it also kind of takes some of the the wind out of the the huge naysayers who are just like catastrophizing and not to say that like because so often they it seems so like no one listens to me. This is terrible. It's just like, all right, we'll talk about it. Like, yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the the WSWS um, article where they were like, uh, uh, workers, UAW workers slam the, the deal with the big three, the deals with the big three. And it's just a list of like live stream comments that are like normal criticisms that you would expect in any public forum of a membership. Oh, yeah. yeah. It- and if you watch the YouTube videos, it's not, it's just... It's it's like just people copy pasting the same comment over and over. Don't don't listen to those. We don't even know if those are workers. Well, and it's a, it's a, this whole process by the UAW is a recognition that it's like discussion of the deal is not an antagonistic contradiction. Like that's just a normal part of the process, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you gonna mm-hmm. do? Ratify a deal without talking about it? <laughs> what are you, what are you uh, acting silly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So well, now. It- Yes. Now we can go to Stellantis. Uh, just on Saturday, the 28th, uh, I mean, b- basically right after we, re- we recorded, uh, three days after announcing the Ford TA, Stellantis caved. And uh, I mean, this was also kind of an auspicious day because it was the 44th day of the strike, which is the same length that of the GM plant occupation in the sit-down strikes of 1937 that Sean Fain has continually called back to. And, I mean, since before the strike, the Stellantis' offer has increased by 103%. It, Literally more than doubled. Yeah. It's it's wild, the amount of concessions they got here. I actually, I have, I have another clip here uh, of Sean Fain just talking about uh, how the union is so back. For decades... We've been fighting with one hand tied behind our backs. And I'll tell you the truth, sometimes it felt like both hands. With this agreement, we're going from defense to offense. 
we're going from the managed decline of the American working class to a new era of auto manufacturing. They told us for years that the electric vehicle transition was a death sentence for good auto jobs in this country. We stood up and said no. With this agreement, we're proving them all wrong. Hell yeah. I mean, I, I will say, I couldn't help thinking after your comment, Lena, of, of, of Sean Fain just coming out and being like, for years, the admin caucus told us that it was so over, but I'm here to announce that we are so back. I just imagine like a, a bunch of suits in the in the Stellantis like head office, like, sacre bleu, it's so jovair for Stellantis, the UAW is so powerful. Although, I don't know. They're a French company, but they're headquartered in Hoofdorp, so maybe I should have done a Dutch accent. It's confusing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and so the Stellantis TA announcement, and now we only have the initial announcement video, but boy, they crammed a lot of wins into that short video. And they opened with you know one of the perhaps most emotional victories, I think, you know, for a lot of workers uh, of the strike, which is one of the things that workers have been talking about even well before the strike, leading up to it, talking about, you know, the the awful way that just these companies treat their workers, how they disrupt their lives on a whim and treat them like they're numbers and not actual people. And a big part of that is just closing plants. I think the number that Sean Fain cites a lot is like 65 plants closed in the last couple of decades. And one of the most recent ones of those was the Belvedere assembly plant in Illinois, which Stellantis idled just eight months ago. And what they mean by that is they shut it down, but they didn't strip it for parts, which is one of the things that that really indicates is that it was largely a political move to shut that plant down more than it was an economic one. And so while Stellantis, I think, may have thought that was like a galaxy brain move where they're just like, look, we'll, we'll hit them real hard before the strike. And we want to keep that plan open anyway. So we'll give them that. And so it'll cost us less than if we hadn't shut this plant down. That shit did not work. Yeah, zuta lures, our gambit failed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like all that did was piss off every Stellantis worker and their family and really the entire community of Belvedere mm -hmm. and galvanize them to fight harder. If anything, that served as an inspiration for how powerful this strike was. And I think it's really important to point out that they're not just restarting the plant. There's more to it than that. They're actually going to be building a new battery plant, creating a thousand jobs like right yeah. there in that same area. Yeah, in this deal, yeah, Stellantis has agreed to reopen the Belvedere assembly plant give the workers who were fired their jobs back. And, and they have committed specifically to new vehicle production at the plant through the life of the contract. They'll be building a new mid-sized truck. There's going to be two shifts at the plant. And like you said, Lena, there's, they're going to be building a new battery plant as well. So like the whole, aha, we can fuck with the workers by doing a plant closure right before the strike. That was a terrible idea. <laughs> no, it's it's so funny because it really, it, it set up the UAW to have this bargaining tactic of, hey, buddy, fuck me? Wrong. Fuck you, actually. <laughs> and yeah. To see that in action is like, it's like ballet. It's like poetry. <laughs> yeah, because if Stellantis had like really, if that gambit really won, then they would not have the same, like, we're going to go through the rest of what was announced. That, I mean... It's it's comparable or better than Ford's deal. So, I mean... Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, workers were already reaching out to reporters to talk about this one. Like, I know uh, Luis Feliz Leon from Labor Notes 
uh, had talked with a worker who reached out right after the Stellantis announcement who, who told him, quote, we're overjoyed. Not only does our plant stay open, we will have a PDC, a parts distribution center, and a battery plant. More jobs for the area. I almost cried, end quote. I believe and, that. Yeah, I mean, I was, I don't know, I was getting kind of emotional watching the announcement because I'm like, you know, we do a show about the labor movement. We love the labor movement. We love to celebrate all the victories, but living in the United States, sometimes there's a lot, there's a lot of time between those victories. And to see the power of the working class flexed in this level is unfortunately been pretty rare, at least in my lifetime in this country. And seeing it, and the results are incredible because like not only are they forcing them to reopen Belvedere, but one of the things that they pointed out in, in the announcement was that before the strike began, Stellantis's position was, eh, sorry, we're going to have to cut 5,000 jobs. We just, we don't have the, we don't have the business or whatever. I don't really know what their justification was because they had the highest profits of any of the three companies uh, and largely coming from their U S production. But, Regardless, their opening offer was, we're going to cut 5,000 jobs. And by the end, Stellantis was forced to agree to add 5,000 jobs. So that's an increase of 10,000 jobs net from the start of negotiations. Yeah, I mean, it's just really impressive. And it's like, it's a big uh, tonal shift from uh, the like vague promises of rejuvenation that we've gotten for so long to see not just material results, but material results that are specifically tailored to help the communities that are the most affected mm -hmm. by this kind of corporate fuckery in the first place. Right. And you know, I'm actually really glad you phrased it that way. Because one of the things that I want to really point out about this deal for people who are not auto workers, for people who listen to our show who are just socialists, one of the things that you see that gets effective sometimes with right-wing populism in the United States is, like you said, these vague promises, we're going to bring manufacturing back to the United States. Every single time you hear a politician, whether they're super right-wing in the Republican Party or just regular right-wing in the Democratic Party, uh, it's a lie. It's just, we're going to give subsidy, we're going to give billions of dollars to some company and ask them nicely to create jobs and then they don't do it. Yet, We've just seen, the UAW has just shown us how you actually make, while you're still operating within a shitty capitalist system, how you actually make companies bring back manufacturing jobs through the power of class warfare, really, to be honest. Like, it's by deploying the class struggle. Because, again, Stellantis had planned to close their Trenton engine and Toledo machining plants before this strike. The new agreement wins production commitments to keep those plants open and, in fact, double the workforce at the Toledo plant. And in this agreement, the, 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 the union was able to force Stellantis to, to commit to not $8 billion in new money like Ford, not $9 billion, but $19 billion in new investments in the United States, which is like, that is just so much money. <laughs> like, that's what, and again, what that translates to is more jobs, more work that locks these gains in long time, long term, and for more people. And it's defended not just by also winning the right to strike over plant closures, as has been one at the other companies, but this was another one of the apocal wins in this contract. In this deal at Stellantis, if it's ratified, the workers have won for the first time not just the right to strike over plant closures, but to strike over product and investment. 
Meaning, and what that means is that if Stellantis says, okay, well, we were going to build this truck at this facility in uh, Kentucky or whatever. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't keep which company has which which state straight. But they're like, we're going to build this truck here. And so we hire all, we're, we're getting ready to gear up for all these jobs. And then they have a bad quarter or something, or the economy in Italy tanks, and they're like, oh, look, we can get cheaper work over there, so we're going to build stuff for Fiat instead. Now, if they try to do that, the... <laughs> The UAW can shut down every single Stellantis facility in the country. Yeah, that's a striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, and that is something that the UAW fought for decades to win as a as a means of shop control. And and in the fifties, they made the Treaty of Detroit, where they kind of gave up fighting for that in exchange for very big uh, wage increases and benefit increases that really formed the idea that it's like the, the, the UAW created this, you know, the, that's really that image of the fifties that people have in their heads of the one, one job is enough to buy a house, to buy a car, to give a decent life to people. And so what this has done is said, you know what? You don't have to give up those big wage increases, those big quality of life increases. If you have enough unity, if you have enough solidarity, you can win that and shop control. If you stick mm-hmm. to your guns. And you can make the company invest the GDP of Malta in new products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, Sean uh, Payne, I mean, called the new shop floor power one and the strike, quote, a new era of auto manufacturing, end quote. And I don't think that that's an exaggeration. No. I'm, no, genuinely. I, I think this strike is going to see a complete shift in, in automaking in this country. Uh, like... Not and not just at the big three, and we'll get to that a little later. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I think I don't. I think this strike again, whether it ends with these deals or they go or they vote it down, they go out and win even more, or 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 go out and come back with these same deals, whichever. <laughs> like uh, classic that, win 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 situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly. And so, like, it, this really just changes the game. Like, it's they are literally setting a new standard for for what workers should have in this country and, so and, now know, that we've gone through all of this amazing stuff let's get to the boring stuff like the immense <laughs> raises yeah so i'll run through these a little faster because they parallel uh things at ford quite a bit so uh, just like ford and as we'll see at, at gm the base raise for workers in this deal is 25 percent with cola added on top because that's another they won back cola at stellanis as well which means that by the end of the deal top rate at stellanis will rise over 30 percent to also be over 40 dollars just like at ford and the starting wage at stellanis will see a 67 percent increase and also crucially there will be an immediate 76 percent raise almost doubling their wages for workers who are currently on the low tier at mopar because this deal wipes out that tier no more tiers everybody's on the same fucking contract no more of this fucking dividing the workers doing the same work bullshit which means again almost doubling the lower tiered workers wages at mopar well and watching these videos so many times i i feel like i've kind of got assessed what the what this kind of meant is that there were different plants that they just Mm -hmm. valued less the, when mm-hmm. they say like at this particular plant we've gotten rid of that tier, it's not that there was like a, a big separate tier throughout every single plant. It's that they picked a plant and said "fuck you." Well, now that's not the case. Well, and, and we'll get to it with GM. GM did that with a bunch of plants. So yeah, and this eliminates that tier for those Stellantis workers. And like Ford, uh, Stellantis workers will reach top rate after only three years. And like at Ford. 
uh, this total economic gains in this contract amount to more wins than the previous 22 years combined. Uh, and for temps, just like at Ford, uh, there will be no more perma temps. Uh, temps will be transitioned to full time after nine months of service. And as at Ford, all temps who currently have at least 90 days will immediately begin transition to full time. And, um, Current temps over the life of this deal will see raises of up to one hundred and sixty eight percent. And you know, I don't. We we talk in our little group chat pretty often, but I uh, I originally there was like one year that was a lot of the what was going around of how long they would tr- uh, turn temps over. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, maybe if they fight really hard, they could get that down to six months. But I bet it's going to meet in the middle. Boom, nine months. I was right. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's also wild because like. On this show, we routinely applaud deals that give the lowest paid workers two-digit increases Mm -hmm. by the end of their contract. And those are laudable contracts. But this is just, this is on, uh, this is on another planet of, of organizing and effectiveness. And it's utterly reflected in the terms of the contract, or in the terms of the tentative agreement, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Three-digit increase for temps. Yeah. And so... Uh, we don't have the details on things like retirement and benefits for this Delanis uh, deal. I would imagine they likely parallel. I mean, there's a lot of parallels in all of these deals between each other. It's not exactly a pattern agreement because there are differences, but it's pretty close. So, I mean, we'll see more details. I believe um, the meeting for Stellantis of the Stellantis National Council is on Thursday. So we're recording this on Wednesday. I imagine tomorrow evening they will put out a similar longer breakdown of the Stellantis contract, but I would imagine the retirement gains are probably pretty similar to what was wanted for it. Yeah, and we'll do little updates in the main episode. We know you listen to those too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and one thing I wanted to mention before we switch over to the GM deal too is that this strike has actually already impacted Stellantis workers in other countries as well because just this week, Canadian Union Unifor, which has been in ongoing negotiations with the big three in that country, uh, they've now kind they they recently reached a new tentative agreement with Stellantis, and you gotta figure that the pressure from the stand up strike really played a big role in helping them make big gains as well. And so while the Canadian unions didn't launch a major strike, they like threatened walkouts and had like a few hours of a strike on Monday. They did still win big contract improvements as a result of their struggle and I would also argue largely also the US workers struggle. Well, you know, interesting and like fun geography fact, Canada is connected to America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, wild, right? Um, and so the deal reached by Unifor with Stellantis will yeah, I'm feeling like you were kind of making fun of me with this. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> But anyways, so the new deal that Unifor won with Stellantis will reinstate COLA, which they had also lost, for the company's 8,200 workers in Canada, which is about a fifth the size of uh, the company's U.S. workforce. Uh, Workers will get a base raise of 20%. Uh, The time needed to reach top rate will be cut to four years. Not quite as good as the U.S., but hey, they're still cutting it in half. And top rate will rise to $45 Canadian, which is currently $32 American, by the end of the contract. That's an area where you could see kind of a significant difference mm-hmm. uh, where um, Solanus is really trying to clearly, you know, use the the workers in Canada as a cheaper labor force. Um, 
but those are still really big gains. Uh, they're, they're, you know, I would argue that they're likely a little less than the U.S. gains because of the fact that the union didn't strike, but because of the competitive pressure placed on the companies by the U.S. strike, Canadian worker, and 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 still the the unity of the. I don't I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on the, the the Canadian auto workers. Their their unity as well is the only reason that they want all this stuff. So, uh, and then just to uh, you know close out the Stellantis deal, their process for ratification in the, uh, on, on the deal in the U.S. is basically identical to uh, the one at Ford. So uh, they'll have the meeting on Thursday, we'll get more details, and then the contract will go out to regional and local meetings for workers to ask questions and debate on whether to vote for it or not. Yeah, and loving the transparent democracy. But after they announced that they'd reached that agreement with Stellantis, as we've kind of uh, maybe stated already on Saturday, the UAW wasted no time in just cranking up the pressure on GM. The union had already escalated last week by shutting down the massive Arlington assembly plant in Texas. But after reaching agreements with Ford and Stellantis, the workers pushed even harder because on Saturday evening, October 28th, the UAW announced that workers at the Spring Hill Assembly Plant in Tennessee, local 1853, would be joining the stand-up strike. Spring Hill, and it's this is not a small plant. It's GM's largest manufacturing facility on the entire continent. The plant's 4,000 workers produce several different Catalog models, and the GM, uh, what is the name? Uh, GMC Acadia. The GMC Acadia, right, right. Uh, and, I mean, this move to shut down the Spring Hill plant following the other two agreements finally just broke GM. And, like, they, like, nearly immediately, like, just a couple days later, uh, after the union, uh, or just a couple days later, the union announced that they had reached a TA at GM as well, which, I mean, the, the Ford workers are back, the Stellantis workers are back, you're losing your competitive edge, and you are just getting struck again and again. I mean, it really just... There's no way that they couldn't like show up. There's yeah, no way. It's, it's it's not usually fun to put yourself in the shoes of CEOs in any given situation, but putting yourself in the boardroom at GM after the other two TAs have come down the pipeline has got to just like I would I would kill to be a fly on the wall in that room for <laughs> yeah, about an uh, hour. <laughs> no, I mean I do love imagining myself as a CEO, but also just shitting my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just, I mean, I envision it, you know, like the, the UAW, like after the Stellantis TA, they're just like, all right, well, look, we got the other two companies, so you're going to agree to this deal. Do you want to agree to it now? And they're like, well, no, you know, we, we think this is too much. This is, guy, I just said you're going to sign the deal. So, all right, you clearly haven't got it. So Spring Hill's on strike. Now you want to sign the deal? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this announcement of the, uh, uh, the agreement with GM, President Fain called the wins made in the stand-up strike, quote, one of the most stunning contract victories since the sit-down strikes of the 1930s, end quote, something that he has cons consistently called back to. And I mean, for emphasis, the membership was called the real prime movers of the union, which again, we've said before, and we got a clip that really highlights how he portrayed that to the membership. As I've said repeatedly, the membership is the highest authority in this union. We are bringing this tentative agreement to you because we wholeheartedly believe that our strike squeezed every last dime out of General Motors. But what happens next? It's up to all of you. This was your strike. This is your union, and this is your contract. So we actively encourage debate and discussion. Democracy is the lifeblood of our union. 
Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's this quote is basically, I'm like, this is like everything. We, <laughs> I'm like, this is everything we love about unions. Like, this is exactly what we mean when we're talking about rank and file democracy. And look at the results. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and before we get too far away from the previous thing we quoted him as saying, uh, one of the most stunning contract victories since the sit down strikes. Uh, I love this. Sit down strikes, stand up strikes. What's next? The kneel strike? The crisscross <laughs> applesauce strike? That keeps it from getting too Catholic? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. I well, So, I mean, but also, I mean, in a pretty significant coincidence, similar to like, you know, the Stellantis agreement happened on the 44th day, similar to the sit down strike uh, of the 1937. I mean, this one landed right on uh, Sean Fain's birthday. Just saying happy <laughs> yeah. birthday, Sean. We did it together. He's got a thing for dates. Didn't he win the election on fucking uh, St. Patty's Day? Oh, it might have been. Yeah, because uh, I remember pe- sure. people on Twitter saying a guy named Sean Fain just won oh, a yeah. union election on <laughs> yeah. St. Patty's Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. And so, like, you know, getting into the details of the GM uh, tentative agreement, which is the most recent, uh, it just happened a couple of days ago, so it, we also have, I think, the least amount of information on it. But it it, it shares a lot of the same details as the other two TAs. So, like, uh, w- if this agreement is ratified, GM workers will see base raises of 25% with COLA restored added on top. So, across the board, you know, restoring COLA, that by itself is a huge win. And yet, I feel like it's overshadowed by so much of the other stuff that's in here. It's wild. And so, like... One of the other things, though, that they pointed out with the GM deal, and, and I'm unclear whether this is also true at the other two shops, but they only mentioned it as far as I'm aware, at specifically at GM, is that the wage increases don't just apply to the hourly workers. They also apply to the unionized salary workers as well, who are also getting COLA. So in the announcement, they mentioned that like the gains made in this contract for salaried workers who are part of the UAW are the largest gains for salaried UAW members at GM ever. I mean, just more records set by a record contract. Yeah. And so, you know, the starting wage for GM hourly workers will go up about 70% over the course of the contract. With COLA, it will go from $18 an hour now, which I'm still like, how do you, with a straight face, tell somebody that it's fair to pay them $18 an hour for doing auto work. I don't understand that, but they won't be able to after this because at the end of the contract, the starting rate will be a much more reasonable $30 an hour, which I'm like, yeah, that sounds a bit more right for yeah. a starting wage. It's in the ballpark at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And top rate will increase 33% to very similar to Ford and NGM to nearly $43 an hour. And, you know, we referenced this kind of with the Stellantis deal, but ending t- and ending tiers was, of course, one of the main themes across all three companies. But GM had long had the, been the worst offender as far as tiers. They, they had plants with five different wage tiers, depending on the different plants that they were at. And that was a big part of the, the announcement from the union. With this new deal... There is no more of the confusing, oh, if you work at CCA or if you work at GMCH or if you work at these other... No. One tier, all the workers, all the plants. That is right. (laughs) And so every facility will now be on the same top-tier master agreement. Low-tiered workers at GMCH, uh, which is GM Component Holdings, uh, will see an immediate 89% raise... (laughs) 
because of how shitty the low tier has been and how much that is increasing in this strike. Yeah, that's and that's huge. And I mean, that's not even to say the other tiers, like with the CCA workers getting their 79% increase, which is huge. Yeah, and, and emphasizing that point, you know, Sean Fain said, quote, we've slammed the door on having a permanent underclass <laughs> of temporary workers. I love the car pun. I love the car <laughs> pun. Yeah, because again, with the other deals, all temps with over 90 days at GM will immediately become full-time, seeing immediate raises between 51 and 115%. All temps, like at the other two, will convert to full-time at nine months going forward. And as reported earlier, but then sort of poo-pooed by some people I saw online for some reason, which was very weird, uh, it, the, the deal does include, as we talked about a few weeks ago, bringing the Ultium Cells battery plant workers under the master agreement as well. Unambiguously so, good? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know why there's any question about that. Well, no, there were people being like, it's irresponsible to report that the union has won this because they don't have a TA yet, so it's not official. Oh. No, they, they, they won it. <laughs> And it will be part of the TA and it will be part of the contract. What do you think they're going to just be like, oh, no, we're going to then trade that for something else after announcing that we want it. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, it's also like one of these things where it's like you're supposed to be suspicious of every single thing that the union could possibly be fucking getting. Because, like, I don't know, maybe that is a healthy instinct to have about news in general in the United States. But then it's like... we like when more perfect union brought up the thing about toyota that we'll talk about later they were like this confirms what labor notes had previously reported that everybody was like is this actually true and it's like yeah it's true workers are just reaching out to labor journalists and saying true normal things why is that so hard to believe (laughs) i mean yeah i think that one of the things that we've learned running this show is that you can't really trust the mainstream media but when a union comes out and says something uh there is a 95 percent 98 percent chance that that is true yeah yeah and so i mean this is it is also huge like bringing ev workers at ford ngm little unclear what the status is at stellantis um but well i i assume we'll see more details uh on thursday but bringing these ev plants under the master agreement is is gigantic and it's another part of the the union's I I, can't, I guess not goal successful fight to mm-hmm. end tears, uh, and so that's that's absolutely huge for the future of of the auto industry. And so with the third deal, the stand up strike is officially suspended. The GM team will travel to Detroit, and in a similar pattern to the other two agreements, they will have uh, their big meeting to review the uh, agreement on Friday, November third. After which, should they they vote to recommend it, it'll be distributed to the membership for, for discussion and voting. And so, but one other thing, much like with Stellantis, uh, this. There's also an international connection at GM because the struggle at GM isn't just here in the United States. As we mentioned on the main show, GM workers in Brazil have been fighting against the company illegally laying off nearly one-third of its Brazilian workforce, or 1,200 people, in violation of their contract. And on Tuesday, uh, on Halloween, the UAW reached out to the GM unions in Brazil to show their solidarity and support. And so I just want to want to read the the letter that was sent out. Uh, it's it's pretty short. So, fraternal greetings on behalf of the one million active and retired members of the International Union United Automobile Aerospace and Agricultural Implements Workers of America, the UAW. 
I am writing to express our outrage towards General Motors' announcement of mass worker layoffs in Brazil. GM's move affects the job security of workers at GM plants in São José dos Campos, São Caetano del Sul, and Mogi das Cruces, and is in violation of the job protection agreement with the unions. We also understand that GM is in violation of the law that requires companies to engage in negotiations with the unions before making mass dismissals. The UAW is all too familiar with GM's habit of not honoring agreements and breaking labor laws. This is unacceptable. We stand in solidarity with your strike demands for cancellation of the layoffs and guarantee of job stability for all. In addition, we support your demands that President Lula issue a provisional measure establishing employment stability and reducing daily working hours without wage reduction. We stand with you and all the courageous striking GM workers in Brazil as you have stood with us during your visit to our picket line several weeks ago. As the UAW strike has demonstrated, our greatest power is the workers standing up. A luta continua. In solidarity, Sean Fain. Hell yeah. Hell I'm going to yeah. say it again without the upward inflection at the end this time. Unambiguously good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, he's doing a callback to the, to, you know, reducing hours without reduction in pay, you know? Well, and, and I do think, you know, this is, it really all reflects, you know, like we talk about the importance of internationalism for a lot of reasons, just you know, morality, <laughs> being a good person, but it even comes down, you could look at it from a purely cynical economic perspective and it's still is something that should be critically important for every union because as Sean Fain has pointed out repeatedly, ending tiers in one country doesn't end every tier mm -hmm. if the company's, you know, production is international. And mm -hmm. so just like, you know, fighting for the, the better conditions for Stellantis workers in Canada and Italy and GM workers in Brazil, this new UAW is really beginning to fight back against their old legacy of protectionism and collaborationism with U.S. imperialism in the period uh, following the death potential assassination of walter ruther yeah well it's like uh, the, it's this the reason solidarity across all boundaries is good is the same reason that light reaches its source except instead of the particle wave phenomenon you have the ethics tactics phenomenon damn getting all dialectic <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, one thing I did want to mention before we transition into to, to you know the final part of our discussion here, because discussion actually doesn't end with the big three, but I did just want to try and, and you know highlight a couple of other items that I have seen from folks online discussing the deal. I believe auto workers. I hard for to verify that, but um, so I you know we mentioned some of the questions about about retirement issues. One thing people have brought up is that they're like, well, we're trying to end tears, but some people are on four hundred one k, some people have pensions. Um, you know, they folks had mentioned the 32 hour work week, which was brought up at the beginning of the strike. Although I think that was kind of always a long-term goal. Um, and one other thing that was also mentioned again, just to reemphasize was people's concerns about there being tiers in retirement on some workers getting healthcare, some workers not, I think there being sort of differentials between some of those. So, and that's really, those are the objections that I've seen. So I imagine those will be. Uh, some of the major topics of debate and discussion among the workers as workers at first Ford, then Stellantis, then GM uh, decide whether, you know, the wins in this, these contracts are enough. Like, and I mean, no matter what, 
this is, I mean, even if this is what the majority of the membership decide is like a good deal, they are starting from a major, major point of victory where they can win things like that 32-hour work week Possibly as soon as the next contract. Yeah, well, and that's what's interesting about the distinction between the two major camps of these issues is the 32-hour work week, I think, at least in general, it's totally understandable to be like, look, that was always kind of a stretch goal. That's something we may go for when... It's something uh, we on, might need a general strike for, something yeah, we have to prepare of 2028, for. That could be happening, you know, whatever. <laughs> but with the retirement benefits, it's interesting because, yes baseline if they accept these terms they secured incredible increases in contributions to both pensions and 401ks so it's not like anybody got totally left behind but the idea that you're trying to build for a future contract might carry a little less water for retirees who have a little bit more of a ticking clock mentality on getting the usefulness out of their retirement benefits yeah, I mean that's a that's a good point, and I mean it is going to be a, a lot of people voting on it, and it also is people who might be concerned about mm-hmm. the the retirees and and are are really you know highlighting those struggles as well. It's very possible, so I mean, we'll have to see. I wouldn't be surprised to see it come from temps who got roundly taken care of, which might be surprising in many ways, but who also might be the most willing to be like, well, look, everyone stuck their neck out for us. We're more than willing to keep up the fight for our retirees. Not that I necessarily think that that's what's going to happen or that's the ultimate like best course of action. Just that like, you know, it's interesting to see these forces play out in a healthy way mm-hmm. in an organization in the United States because that just doesn't happen. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, no, I know. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, like as, as, Sean Fain says over and over and over again, and I'm glad he does, and I hope he keeps saying it over and over again, even if people get bored by it. The members are the union. Mm-hmm. They're the highest authority, and they will determine whether you know these historic deals are enough for now and to continue the organization for 2028, or if you know they want to go back out. So we'll see. But we do want to, before we close... Let's talk about the members. The members that Sean Fain said are the future members of the UAW. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely, because you know that we're already seeing ripple effects from these tentative agreements. They haven't even been ratified yet. Uh, you know, in an article uh, that the New York Times put out this week discussing the tentative agreements, they spoke with a corporate attorney who told them that the strike has already sparked more militancy in unions his clients deal with. Say, who said, "Quote." Outside the UAW, it's putting wind in their sails. They may be blustering, but I'm seeing it already trickle down. End quote. And. This is really important because one of the other things that, you know, Sean Fain has mentioned in that big Ford live stream that he, where he discussed the breakdown is that the goal for 2028 is that we're not coming back to the table with the big three, that they're coming back to the table with the big four or the big five or the big six, because Ford, GM, and Stellantis are not the only companies that make cars in the United States. And the UAW is meant to be an industrial union, which means they are the union for everyone in that industry. Yeah, the UAW. And so there is the UAW is going JRPG mode and incorporating <laughs> more boss fights into each subsequent game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there's Honda, which is one. You know, they they do some manufacturing, and then there's also Tesla, which <laughs> is you know one that we actually need to talk about because. Uh, 
as Dan was saying before the before the ink has even dried on the page, the workers at Tesla have. We've already heard a little bit of news that there's an organizing committee uh, going on at the Fremont, California plant that you know Tesla is a part of because that was announced on the 30th. You know, just after the GMTA. And I mean, just the speed at which the organizing drive uh, happens is really the test of how uh, compelling and historic these potential contracts at the big three are, because, I mean, there have actually been uh, other attempts at unionizing this plant before Uh, a former employee who was part of the, the drive in 2020 said that. The UAW didn't have a chance at organizing the facility after all of the union busting. And I mean, the statement that was made was back while the old administration caucus still had power. And I mean, we'll see if this that's still the case, that it's too difficult to organize, uh, or if that the most transparent and, transparent and publicized contract drive in recent history, getting workers 20 plus years worth of raises in just four and a half years, uh, makes a dent in that. But I mean, just to continue going back in history history there was also an attempt in 2016 to unionize the facility uh and i mean that drive was uh was actually ongoing for quite a few years elon musk at the time called a worker who announced the drive an outside agitator in his statement saying quote he doesn't really work for us he works for the uaw frankly i find this a this i find that (laughs) Frankly, I find this attack to be morally outrageous. Tesla is the last car company left in California because costs are so high, end quote. And I mean, this, again, the labor being part of the cost of things, just that argument is is played out. And I mean, he tried to pull this so long ago. And also to say that it was morally outrageous to try to like unionize, fuck Elon Musk. Well, it's also just very stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... This whole thing, yeah, we're the only car company in California because costs are so high. I'm like, well, but your company isn't unionized and every car you make is incredibly expensive. So what the fuck are you talking about? And every car you make (laughs) is a fucking busted piece of junk. I mean, that's like (laughs) the the one thing about Elon is that's going to make any labor relations that happen at Tesla maybe the most fascinating, if not the Mm -hmm. most like relevant, like they'll be relevant and historic, but you know, incredibly disproportionately interesting is because he's as vicious as he is stupid right and that's like a (laughs) magical combination for a ceo like the jokes we told about howard schultz will Mm -hmm. just absolutely vanish in comparison a a fucking drop in the ocean yeah what was it alex press who said they uh can't imagine the number of laws that elon musk is gonna break to keep fremont from unionizing oh my god or will have been revealed to have already been uh, preemptively breaking for the last 10 years Well, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we've talked about labor conditions at the Fremont Tesla facility before on the show uh, because they're so fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. Like if anyone, if any auto workers in the United States need a union, it's the child workers being hired by Hyundai in Alabama. But after that, (laughs) it's the Tesla workers in California because I mean over and over again that place is a death trap it's in they they like don't follow safety standards like it's incredibly dangerous and allegedly uh, (laughs) uh, and and also less allegedly repeatedly 
insanely racist. Yeah. Constantly. Uh-huh. <laughs> Super racist. You're, te- yeah. wait, wait, wait. You're telling me the South African emerald <laughs> mine air runs a racism factory? That's, well, I can't believe I mean, it. Uh, that's the thing. Like, they're I, literally- as part of the eventual UAW contract at the facility, I do hope one of the provisions is allowing people to wear the, uh, the uniform of members of the EFF from South Africa and play the kill the boar song <laughs> like, while they're at work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Elon's like, going to be like, actually, you don't understand. My family was in an internecine bourgeois struggle against the Boers during that conflict. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, you're not ex- exaggerating the racism either, because there's literally an EEOC racial discrimination case being held against uh, Tesla literally right now. And I mean, yeah. uh, in my notes here, I literally also say... Uh, which is uh, considering Elon's familial legacy that is uh, running an emerald mine in apartheid South, a- South Africa. So y'all got ahead of me on that one. But, I mean, <laughs> I also want to point out that before this was a Tesla factory, it actually was a union auto factory because in uh, between 1985 and 2010, the plant was run by a joint venture between Toyota and GM. And, I mean, that operation ended in GM's bankruptcy of 20, uh, 2009, and then Toyota left, sli- closed it slightly later in 2010. And, I mean, regardless, the momentum of the UAW in light of the major wins at the Big Three, workers at Tesla are very likely to face a super aggressive anti-union campaign. Not only are they known for holding captive audience meetings and employing other quasi-legal methods of union busting, but they are also known for straight-up breaking the law mm-hmm. i mean they have illegally intimidated workers who have supported the union and fired organizers in february of this year tesla fired dozens of workers at its buffalo new york location after the a union drive was announced so yeah there's gonna be some laws broken well yeah i mean tesla's whole business model is basically what if cecil Rhodes sold death traps to the obnoxiously <laughs> wealthy yeah. No, absolutely. That's 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 a really good way of characterizing it. But the thing is, like, I absolutely am sure that Elon will break every fucking labor law in the book yeah. trying to fight off the UAW. But the level of support that the internet I expect the International Union to provide the workers with a rank and file leadership, as opposed to the incredibly conservative and risk averse fucking uh admin caucus is going to be, I think, completely worlds different. And coming off this victory, like, regardless of whether it's ratified, you know, now or in a month or whatever, like, I, you know what, in the fight between Elon Musk and the rank and file membership of the UAW behind the leadership of Sean Fain, I I know who I'm wagering on, and it's not the apartheid billionaire. (laughs) No, and also, I, I mean, like, I I don't really spend a lot of time on Twitter, but I am excited for those interactions. He's <laughs> <laughs> just gonna like ban the UAW's account. <laughs> oh, oh man, uh, yeah, it's gonna be wild. But you know, you mentioned the fact that that plant used to be a joint GM Toyota facility. Well, uh, Toyota is already responding to the strike, and clearly are like, uh, fuck. Our workers are going to unionize. We we got to do something. Shit. <laughs> and rather than just, you know, screaming about it on the internet like like Elon Musk, Toyota is trying to get out ahead of the UAW. So, you know, obviously even though the ink isn't even dry on these tentative agreements, the the rank and file still have to decide whether they're good enough. But Toyota is already running scared, which is great to see because on Tuesday, uh just yesterday, so on Halloween, 
Sources at Toyota leaked internal documents that had begun being circulated by the company announcing major wage increases for all production workers. And so according to sources who spoke with uh, Luis Feliciano at Labor Notes, the day after the GM tentative agreement was announced, Toyota called an emergency meeting of workers to announce major raises and slashing the time needed to go up to top rate. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> According to a leaked internal handout, top rate will see a raise of about 10% from $31.86 to $34.80. And critically, the bigger thing, really, I think, in what they're announcing is that now the progression from starting wage at Toyota to top rate has been cut in half from eight years to four years. Again, hmm, where have I heard some of these numbers before? Yeah, why does this feel like a small, slightly reduced version of a very familiar thing? <laughs> yeah, it feels like kind of specifically $10 short and one year right. short. Yeah. It's also Which, interesting because, like, uh, as I noted on my overtime series about cybernetics and labor, Toyota is often credited as being one of the only companies to yes. actually integrate some of Stafford Beer's principles into their management structure. And I say some because they appear to have gotten exactly one right, which is to move very quickly in the face of changing material conditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although I am not really convinced that the argument, yeah, okay. We know all the big three workers just got giant raises and their lives are so much better. But that that doesn't mean you should unionize. Look, here's here's like 70% of what they got. That's good enough, like, right? Like, yeah. I don't know how convincing that argument's no, going to no, no. be. And, and with, with, with the character of the UAW as it stands right now, I really don't have a problem buying the idea that they might come in and be like, great, that's precedent. Let's fight for the kind of gains we got at the big three on top of that right. and just get everybody moving right along because everything's precedent. Anytime a worker mm-hmm. gets shit better than any, if everybody else has it, that's the new starting point for negotiation. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's this is something that a lot of people who are anti-labor or like to deny history will will kind of poo-poo is the idea that when you when labor struggle happens and in, and uh, conditions improve that that improves conditions for everybody. This is mm-hmm. a literally like right out there in front of you example of that happening it just happens to be that toyota acts a little bit quicker and and they got leaked but i mean it wasn't gonna if it didn't like hit the presses we might not know this and i mean honestly i doubt it ever really does hit the presses Mm. when you know you see a union in one industry get wins and then the other industries are like oh no no we'll we'll keep up a little bit because that's exactly what happens the only way that workers really improve their conditions is through labor struggle that is just a fact it's kind of interesting if you take Reaganomics and you totally reverse it and do the exact opposite (laughs) thing uh, all the exact opposite (laughs) stuff happens which is desirable (laughs) yeah I mean well that's basically just Keynesian (laughs) so like but I think one of the things though you know to emphasize with these is that when we talk about you know the failure to unionize other auto plants in the United States. One of the things that's often focused on, in, including in when I've talked about it before on the show, is the fact that so many of the, the foreign automakers who built plants here in the United States, they intentionally and specifically, you know, recognizing a process that the big three were already underway doing that, hmm, 
we have very specific locations. We should locate the, we should put these plants in to minimize the chances of our workforce unionizing. And so when you look at the Toyota or the Hyundai or Volkswagen plants, they are overwhelmingly in the South and the Sun Belt, which of course, as we know, have long had uh, predominantly super reactionary anti-labor white supremacist governments, even more so than is standard in the United States everywhere. And that, and so, and there have been, you know, openly anti-union governments. Like I think North, like North Carolina constantly brag about the fact that they have the lowest uh, union rate in the country. But I think another big important aspect to why these plants were not unionized is not just the fact that they're in the South. Look at what the fucking UAW was doing for the first two decades yeah. of, of this, this century under the admin caucus. It was concessionary contract after concessionary contract after concessionary contract. So if you're a fucking HR guy or an anti-union consultant, just one of those pieces of shit, like hired by Toyota or Hyundai or Honda to try and break up a union drive, and you just be like, all right, hey, here's this contract where they gave up COLA, and they gave up Y, and they gave up C. And the thing is, that was not a good argument back then, because workers would still have been better off with a union, mm-hmm. regardless, even with the admin caucus in charge. But it was a lot easier of an argument to make, because imagine the same people trying to make that argument now, <laughs> after these contracts. Yeah. That's going to be a lot fucking harder yeah and i was just adding up all the names that we've gone over and so i'm up I, I, that was five names that aren't part of the big three so i'm thinking we're going for big eight i think oh, that yeah, that's we what haven't talked about rivian yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> nine well i mean just, just i mean hey they get the right to strike over product and investment maybe they can just strike to make stellantis buy rivian and make them union <laughs> yeah there we go there we go well I mean, we have definitely, it's good that we did an extra episode for this because clearly we needed the extra time to go over it. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to wrap that this one here. And we really want to thank everyone again for supporting the show because we could not do this without you. I mean, if you want to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, write a review on Apple Podcasts or any of the other many places that you can write reviews. You can follow us in many places. Links are at workstoppagepod.com. As always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity.
that the uh, bureaucratic side of getting your car fixed has so far, it sounds like not at least been a total nightmare. No, it's it's honestly been a lot less worse than I thought it was going to be. But it, it has me reflecting on what it would have been like for me 10 years ago when I was 22 mm. if this had happened and I had not been prepared at all or immediately done any of the stuff I needed to do and had just waited around and called a bunch of people and been like, what do I do? <laughs> Compared to now where I'm like, paperwork, insurance, figure this out, phone calls, make sure to do everything at work so you get paid for it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. on that part for sure. Yep. <laughs> Well, hey, now uh, now maybe you'll be able to get one of them cars built by uh, folks actually making a decent wage now after these agreements. Whoa. I mean, with my budget, I am definitely not going to be able to buy any kind of recent model car. I'm definitely going to be buying some old, bullshit, terrible contract years car, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but you're ruining my segue. <laughs> <laughs> 